The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov careers slash USBP. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Welcome back to part two of this interview with Neville Keithley, otherwise known as Baluey Sum. We talk about the highlights of his career, his support slot with Queen, and how in 2019, after going back on stage, he was surprised by the reaction of the audience. What's Um, amazing to me is, uh, well, a number of things here. I want to start with Carlos, because Carlos Alomar was... He, his riff was fame, wasn't it, as well? He was yeah, he, he yeah, on yeah. more Bowie. Uh, I mean, all the way through. Here, yeah. here, if you think, I mean, with Robert Fripp, with Heroes, everything. I mean, Carlos is there all the way through, from, from Young Americans all the way through. Which is, you know, and the connections, the sort of Bowie connection with you is sort of amazing, because it's like, you know, there's the childhood um, yeah. idol is Bowie, and then you're connecting again later on and one thing that's really interesting there is that the idea that record companies at that point still had money didn't they they still yeah oh they were a fortune they were making fortunes so so the the, the, the thing was I, I was talking to someone the other day I and mean, you probably remember this um basically they they bargained they, i mean it was about 100 grand a single i mean it, it hit sing, you know, i mean i mean you didn't spend 100 but you went in it, it cost studios were between 12 and 1500 quid a day now you know it's 50 quid and a packet of crisps isn't it i mean it's just a different world uh yeah you're right they had a fortune but i didn't chase david bowie's people it's just that they were they were an incredible musical entity you know and um but and and if i can just throw in because i'm talking 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 but um um it wasn't well received that i'd gone to new york it was you know but you're english what you're doing in new york you know you should be making english records for english people and i was um and in they're, they're so much more positive. They were so much more positive in New York. You know, I'd gone from all this negative, 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 everything going wrong to, wow, this is fantastic. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, you know, that that was something that stayed with me for the rest of the, the rest of my career. You know, that New York. One thing you know, I love your, your drive. I mean, it's everything you talk about shows immense drive in your life, like the commitment and drive of yeah. taking risks and doing things. Is, it seems to be there all the way along have you ever sort of sat back and 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 analyzed or even you know i've been to therapy a lot and i've sort of (laughs) seen where my drive came from and it's actually you know we sort of identified it was that my father didn't show much interest in me so i've sort of been trying to get his attention is the idea in my life that's where we honed it down to Have have you ever looked at something like that in terms of your own drive and where it may have came from well, I never really thought about my father because he, he was never around and, and frankly, he seemed like a bit of a prat. I mean, I didn't meet him a couple of times later on when he was older, but then by that stage I was a, a pop star and um, 
I really, I really wasn't interested. I had no like, oh my God, my father. No, I was um, always driven, always have been. But it's not a good idea to turn around and analyze too much what you're doing. Or I mean, if I'd analyzed where I was going, what I'm doing, I mean, I'm like, my God, I mean, I mean, crazy, headstrong, do every, you know what I mean? Um, but you can do that when you're young, can't you? You can, you can attack the world, you know? But you yeah. did attack the world, didn't you? I mean, yeah. some people was uh, the yeah. the result of this was then um, some people and um, this album, um, which then you came back with. And how did the record company react to the product that you actually presented them with? They loved it. They loved it. I mean, the thing is, I was really lucky that EMI were very supportive. Polyphone EMI were very supportive. And they loved the album. The big problem that they had was and this is what we first started off when we were talking is everything in the 70s and 80s was categorized you were a new romantic you were a rock band you were i wasn't anything i was a, a guy um a pretty middle class guy who wasn't political with white hair who was english who'd made a record in new york and it and it and and the marketing people at emi had an appallingly bad time at trying to get it across i mean you know there's no question that imagination survived and some people have both survived 40 years but at the time, it was like, well, what's this? You know, huh? I remember Radio 1, Capital would never play Imagination. Cap huh? Who does he think he is making a record with the chic people? Huh? I mean, that was the direct on Monday morning. It's like, well, who does he think he is? You know, there was there was that rubbish. So um, I mean, they all Imagination and some people were both re-released. And it was Gary Davis who got Imagination away because... He was playing on Radio One. Here we are. We've got a song called Imagination by a guy called Bluey Sum. Have a listen. Oh, he said. And halfway at the end, he said, that's good. I'll play it again. And he played it twice. And oh, that's wow. what broke imagination. So, um, so uh, yeah. That's they, fascinating because you're talking about radio there. Yeah, and radio how radio one. had such an impact at that oh, you know, yeah, during yeah. that era. And yeah. we're already in the 80s in America. We're in the MTV era. Yeah, um, where it was vital to me, you know. So yeah, absolutely, and okay. I think that was one of the the most interesting choices uh, was when you came to make a video for Imagination, and yeah, Storm Thorgerson. So was that your decision, or did that well, come from the record company? My manager by this stage, one I had an American manager, and I had Bill Kerbishty in in England, but my manager, they were all very close to MTV, and the Barrows were very close to MTV. So I sort of did my naughty version of imagination which is the which is the video i went to storm uh, paul barrows uh, paul barrows idea i think but we went to storm who was a genius you know um, a nutty but a genius and um so we want to do a, a seven a 12 inch version um and this is what we want the concept and we're not stupid i mean we had mtv in the states involved the whole way through they did a special um a special on a video that they couldn't show that's the irony um and um, so they were involved right from the beginning. And I um, um, and they, they we did a launch of the actual with MTV. So MTV News in New York, when in the States was at the launch of the video that they couldn't show. <laughs> so um, because no one had really done that before. Um, and the reason was it was to programming. I knew that if you remember, Steve, every club and bar in the world had these big screens that would come down. It was a no-brainer. If you wanted to be shown all night, every night, in every bar in the world, do something that was a bit risky. So that's what we did. No, I remember that. I remember when seeing um, 
Michael Jackson's Billie Jean in a club in London, yeah. in a gay club in London, yeah. where they brought yeah. down the screens at midnight and showed yeah. this video, and, and they did it with Thriller, and we just stood there and watched it yeah. like it was completely normal. And you're sort of like, wow. I mean, and the thing is, so uh, so I so that's what happened, and of course, you know. It, it completely, it, you know, is a massive dance hit all over the world. And, uh, you know, still, meanwhile, you've got um, radio going, well, <laughs> who does he think he is? Because, you know, it wasn't broken by radio imagination, you know. And, it, and of course, all the Europeans picked up on it long before England. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's what we did with the video. And then Storm did some people with Storm, which was also, a, as you know, a commercial in the States. Um, but um, that was just going back to the other one, because you said, yeah. you know, it was shown it was wasn't it shown in Studio 54 as the first? Yeah, we, the launch was Studio 54. I was, and, the, and the thing about Studio 54, you know, it was it was still happening, Studio 54, but it wasn't like the days of, you know, everyone crawling around in, in, in the basement doing whatever. Um, but it was still a, a good place to grab some attention. And so the, I wasn't at the launch, but, um, you know, MTV and everyone and all the record companies and. And it was a great place to launch it. And and I just I just I'd forgotten that, you see, until fairly recently as well. But but um, it was all part of the whole the whole risque thing. And then and then um, but I just I should say from the first minute I started doing this, I knew that America, sorry, UK was far more important. So I so I would always. What, what about the Americans? I mean, I would you know, I knew that capital in L.A. was more important than you know, okay, I was a London-based act, and I love London, but I knew that you had to get American. I mean, you so, mentioned uh, the, the the Barrow Brothers, the, the importance of their role in it, because they'd they'd already had girls on film, hadn't they, with Duran Duran, yeah. I presume. Well, that, and that's, that was the forerunner, in essence, to the idea. Actually, that's what Mike Paul said. It's been really, it's, it's shown in every club in the world. It's about, you know, so, so let's do the same with you, with imagination, because imagination worked like that. And Storm was the perfect director for that because he was a genius, but barking mad, you know, and, um, and I had no idea really what was going on most of the time. I mean, I, you know, I had loads of meetings and, and I got a feeling that we, we actually got some money out of Playboy for that video. Um, it's come, it was, I was thinking about it the other day, I think Playboy put up like $50,000 as well um, so that they could show it exclusively at late night so um i mean we would take money from anyone you know, we're not proud i mean <laughs> so uh so um yeah it was an event and of course it, it it gave me a calling card you know the imagination video really so i was talking to a friend from mtv the other day because of you know interviewing you and i said to him didn't we go around storm thorgerson's and he said yeah i think you did an interview with him so did uh, he live he lived in north london or in, in yeah that's right he had a, a barking mad studio up there with Kentish town or something it was yeah, like, that's right. yeah. yeah no i did interview him no and he was absolutely nuts but very <laughs> yeah. very clever and you know his work is fascinating his genius nuts. I mean, he, um, he, you know, every sleeve of note and art camp, art uh, campaign, you know, Pink Floyd, uh, Led Zeppelin, everything is Storm. If you look at his, what he did, um, I loved him. I thought he was great. And he was, but he was, um, you know, the record companies hated him. You know, he was like, no, I'm not doing that. No, you piss off. You're not coming to the set. You know, I mean, he was ruthless and, and um, he was incredibly rude to everyone. But, um, but he was a, a fantastic guy. I liked him a lot. Thank you. 
You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Did you have a say in anything that was going on then? Or was Everything. he actually just ordering you around? <laughs> no, but, I mean, there, there was an element of that, but, it, you know, I mean, you have to imagine that I've got to this stage, I'm not going to let it go. I mean... I always had a say in everything. That's why maybe it hadn't gone according to plan a lot of the time. But uh, no, I mean, I did. I, I knew what the basic, you know, concept of the video was. It was some of the things he made me do were a bit embarrassing. Like I, it was quite a big film set and it was a Monday morning we started shooting. It was a long shoot, like four or five days. I said, right, get your clothes off then. I said, what? I said, you know, he said, well, get your he said you don't think that they're going to walk around naked and you're not. And then I'm looking around at all these people and it's my first really big shoot. And I, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out. Anyway, I did, what, I did what I was told. I got in the shower. <laughs> so um, if you remember the, the opening scene is I'm standing in the shower, but I'm, I'm looking terrified, you know. Well, I think great. you're looking away, actually. I'm looking, I, am looking, well, I have to look away <laughs> for obvious reasons. Steve. From behind, yes. yes. Thank God, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. But, uh, I mean, that's, you know, I, th I think those those um, times in your life are sort of very um, yeah. pivotal, and you, you may not even realise it at the time. Did you know you were at a pivotal moment? Oh, yes. I knew every time, even though every day. I mean, I never took a minute off, you know. I mean, I... I was completely, I was on the phone. I had a big bag of coins and everywhere I drove in London, in London in those days, you drove everywhere. I'd stop and there would be a pay phone. I'd be on the phone to America with my coins, you know. Uh, oh, I'll be, I'll be, I'll call you back in 10 minutes then. I'd drive another, you know, round, because you could drive around. And um, every moment was pivotal. I knew I had one chance. Um, and, um, and everything went really, really well. I mean, you know, on that album and then, then, then Queen with uh, Freddie Mercury get doing, you know, um, when Freddie asked me to do the tour, obviously by this stage, he and I are really taking me seriously. And then, um, how did he? Then, how did he um, approach you? Well, the, I had approached Queen, the band, not Freddie, at a, a manager director's conference. They were in a special VIP part of the hotel, and I was about eleven o'clock at night. And I said to the girl from the record company, a friend of mine, she was fantastic. I said, "We've got to find. I've got to get on this tour. They just there was talk of a tour. I said, I've got to make friends with them." So anyway, I was barged into their room and I always remember telling Roger and um, John, uh, listen, you need some young blood on your tour, you know, if you do it. And they were, we were had a drink, it was a laugh. But how I got the tour was Montreux. Um, and um, there was a big TV festival and it was 86 and everyone and their auntie was there. And uh, Queen were about to launch the Magic Tour, which in those days was the biggest thing ever. It was a stadium tour, it hadn't happened before. And uh, I got summoned at the party afterwards. Uh, the managing director of EMI came down and said, Peter James came down and said, Freddie wants to meet you. And so I was taken upstairs and Freddie was like, this is the only star of the show. You, the rest of them are all average. You are the one. This is the one doing my tour. And the managing director was like, Freddie, we can't afford it. We can't, don't be ridiculous, darling. Spend the money. So I got the tour. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, but when you, you know, when you actually went on tour with them, you'd already had this massive preparation because you, you, you know, you, you played small clubs at the beginning. You'd had a real band. Um, yeah. Um, were you perceived as a um, live act? Live act, or were you perceived as a video act? Because in a way, yeah. you crossed that 
boundary of both, didn't you? I think I was different from most of them because most 80s acts were video acts. They weren't live acts, if you think, except for the big ones like Dran and, and Tears and whatever. And, but um, I was very definitely a live act. I mean, I was on the road. I was touring, playing all the time. I, it was really important to me because I knew you couldn't crack America unless you were playing the whole time. So um, um, uh, if you look now at a lot of the 80s acts, the great bands, ABCs and Heaven 70s and everything, they weren't playing live in the 80s. I mean, they were making great videos and amazing records, but they weren't. So I was, yeah, I was out there. I was playing. Um, and I loved it, actually. That was the bit I really enjoyed. So, um, so yeah, I was, um, I had a band that I, you know, a great band. I mean, they were fantastic. So for me, it was easy to slot in. I was playing all the way through the summer anyway. And so when, when we, Queen gave me those dates, you know, it was, it was easy. Was that around the time you were also touring with Frankie Goes to Hollywood? No, I, that was a year before. That was, ah, that was, so what, that was that's, that's, to me, that sounds like a, um, a marriage made in hell to the extent of that would have been wild. It was very wild. It was very wild. And and also, um, I, you know, I'm perceived by everyone. In those days, I was perceived as being quite posh. And um, I and and they were, you know, hooligans. I mean, you know, um, um, Holly is obviously now, a, a, you know, a, I mean, a lovely guy. And he was always a slightly more genteel than the rest of them. But the rest of them were animals. And um and I always remember the first few dates, like my band could outdrink their them anyway. So that was that was the first thing. So we weren't wimps, and um, and I just think that uh, we were we, we I'd been in America a lot, so there was a lot of MTV buzz around me. So they were like, well, who is this guy? He you know they were they they didn't dive in and start. They they'd done a tour before where they'd been really badly behaved, and no one would do press with them on this tour. So I got all the press. So, um, so it worked for me really well. So whenever we turned up in a town, I would do everything. Um, they were they were very big by this stage. I mean, people don't have any concept of how big Frankie Goes to Hollywood were. I mean, Relax and Two Tribes, as you remember, are phenomenal. You know, they were really phenomenal. Um, so uh, I, I grabbed their press. We got on really well. They also had them. a, you know, when you think of Relax, they had that first, you know, band video as well. I was actually, yeah, there's a, yeah. there's this girl with really long blonde hair behind the bar, yeah. Ange, who was a mate of mine. And, right. and she's in that, and she's in that video. That was sort of her claim to fame at the time. Um, and they also, you know, I don't want to say used it because that sounds like. Well, they got their record deal on that, didn't they? Yeah, they I did. Mean, yeah. And it was, yeah. you know, and that video is incredible because it is like, Pushing the the yeah, the it's on the queue. You, you remember? Know. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. they had then they had to remake the video, didn't they? With sort of these yeah. strobe lights or whatever they're called. And then, that original is just phenomenal. It's yeah, phenomenal. no, it, no, it's absolutely brilliant. How did it feel in in that period to to you about where you were going to end up? Well, at that stage, I was convinced, and everything was going very well. And then, and I went to New York to do my second album, and I had a live band that consisted of Carlos Elema, Carmine Rojas on bass, Jeff Dugmore, uh, Guy Fletcher, you know, from Dire Straits, um, Chester Kamen. I was going to use the Borneo horns for brass, uh, Robin Clark and goodness knows who else on backing vocals. I, I, had a, I had the most amazing lineup and we recorded the album and that was it. And it was, we, we came back to London, the record company were thrilled and I was thrilled. 
and we're ready to go. And then, then it all started to go horribly, horribly wrong. Did the first video, um, tour dates are all organized, America's organized, Europe's organized, and then it went wrong. And what happened? What, you wanna know yeah, what happened? Wrong, yeah. <laughs> it's really straightforward. I mean, everything's slotted in, Radio One's playing it, it's climbing the charts, the records released, and it, it, it's all to do with logistics in those days. There were rules about, you could only release a couple of weeks before, to radio before it went out on sale and if you remember it's just before you well it's, it's the mtv time it's the same time as i met mark he became you know we became chums um and um the record's due to be released on monday the whatever and it wasn't in the stores so radio one pulled it so um it's suddenly all airplay stops the single's dead the Europeans are going, hang on, wait a minute, it's not a hit in the UK, it's it's downgraded. Americans go, right, it's downgraded. So uh, it's Let It Be With You. It was By this stage, it's top five in America dance. The video's on heavy rotation in the States. It's, everything's going according to plan. Boom, it wasn't there. The guy, the, the, the head of um, sales and distribution at EMI had gone on holiday and um, there'd been a, a mess up with the dates of the records going to the stores. I mean... You know, I know it sounds really basic, but that's what happened. Once the record, once it's, once it's pulled from Radio One in those days, that was it. It was over. It never came back. You never got it back. I, you know, I'd struggled for the whole year. We released lots of singles, but Radio, no, it's not going to happen. Blue Sun's not happening. You know, so it was over. You're listening to Pop the History Makers with me, Steve Blame. And also, uh, obviously, the 80s, it was, you know, music was changing and the society was changing. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it was 87, 88. I used yeah. to go to Shoom and the sort of the, the yeah. rave culture I mean, I, was coming. Yeah. But I'm now not, I'm now, I've transformed into leather jacket and jeans. If you look at the second album, you know, it's not, it's live band. It's all live band, the second um, album. It's not so electronic and um, even though the first one wasn't that electronic but you know what I mean it was it was not relying on it was brass it was it was rock guitar it was much heavier and um, so I'd moved I'd developed I mean I was going to Shroom and all the clubs and that's where London was you know I was doing all the same thing so I wasn't you know silly no it had gone wrong and you know it's the end of the 80s and you're just about to get there and you haven't got there now a lot of bands that we know now did get there they just they just got there maybe a year earlier than me they would they you know if you think of all the bands that have survived the big ones you know um uh I mean, you know the obvious ones the 80s bands but uh, i hadn't got there and so the the whole thing you know it just everyone was very nice and we carried on but you know it was over how uh, did you deal because and, you know, this is taking a bit later, sort of to the mid nineties, yeah, when, yeah. when, when you know the, the end came, as it were. Yeah. I mean, it was a similar. That was a similar period with me. I'd come to Germany, run a TV channel, and then my career completely fell apart, and yeah. and and I was over. Um, and there was a process of the loss of fame, which was, even though I, you know, I was nowhere near mm. as successful as you, but I was recognisable at that point. I and remember that loss. Yeah. That yeah. loss of fame was quite painful in a way. It was like a loss that you go through in life. There was some sort of grief involved where you get used to it slowly in an acceptance and then you deal with it and then you move on. How was that for you? Well, I, I knew it long before everyone else. 
So, I mean, I, I was like, this is this is not going according to plan. And I couldn't get tours and I couldn't get, I did an American tour in 1988, small club tour, but I should have been doing something much bigger. Um, and then I was looking at the management and then there was some bad management advice. Um, and, you know, then I really, really fought to make a third album, which is, I think, a beautiful album um, that, you know, uh, BMG Arista didn't even bother with the, you know, the, I don't know why they bothered making it, but we made it and I released that. It's got a couple of great singles on it, but they, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't even bother. So, you know what? I thought that's it. You know, I mean, that's it because by the, by the time it's the nineties and I didn't like the nineties, the nineties were, you know, they weren't fooling anyone to me. They were, they were, you know, Britpop was really, yeah. Okay. I mean, I've just lived through the eighties. I'm not interested, you know? So, um, so uh, I thought it was best, I was, I've jumped ahead a bit, but I, I thought it was best rather than be groveling around. I've still lived in central London. I thought just keep quiet. I still chatted to all my friends who were in the music industry, but I kept, you know, I was, it was very humiliating. It's very annoying. It's very frustrating. It's, um, it's uh, oh, there's the guy that did imagination, you know, there's a lot of that. And um, I mean, what's interesting about that? I mean, that's what I used to get. It's like, oh, it's MTV, you know. And of course, to them, I'm the identifiable figure, and they mean that in a positive way. But yeah. to you, it's like a, a memory of what's gone. In a yeah. way, yeah, I was so embarrassed. It's it quite I, painful. It is very painful. It, it, but you can't say anything or do anything. You just got to smile sweetly and go, oh, yeah, yeah, right. You know, you just reminded me of the fact it's gone wrong. You know, and. Um, Oh, I love that song, you know, oh, great. Or, you know, and uh, in America, oh, so what happened? A lot of what's gone wrong? What's happened? Well, what's gone wrong is real life has gone wrong. And, and you know, I chose show business. If you choose show business, you, uh, you're you playing with fire, you know. And um, so, so um, you know, I, I scratched around. You know, I think I made, I made a single with, um, funny enough, I made a single with um, Matt and Biff, who, who, about a month before they started recording the Spice Girls. Um, so I did a, a, a cover, uh, a Korea song, Baby Let Me Love You, which is great. Actually, again, I hadn't heard that for 20 minutes. And then I thought, you know, this is, this is 1995. This is crazy. What am I doing? Who am I kidding? You know, you know, I'm not making any money. I've got to make, I've got to get on and go move on. So, so I kept quiet and let them all get on with it, you know. So then, you, I, so then you've had a long, you know, a long period after that. Um, and just a few, couple of years ago, which I think would, would have yeah. been just slightly pre-COVID, you made a decision to actually well, I didn't make a decision. shell. Someone <laughs> called me up. I mean, oh, someone right. called me up. I mean, my kids didn't even know I was a singer. No one knew I was a singer. I mean, I mean, my friends knew I was really some, but I, you know, the first thing happened about 10 years ago, I lost a lot of weight and looked a lot better because, you know, you just, you get to 45, 50, you know, you know it's like, mm -hmm. um, no, I got a phone call. I was on the beach in Croatia. I was actually in the water without someone rang. He said, oh, do you fancy doing um, Let's Rock next year? Um, you know, all 12 festivals. I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> they said, well, we'll send you a contract. Uh, I said, well, what do I have to do? Don't worry, it's in the contract. Okay, fine. That was it. And I did it. And um, that was one of the big moments in my life as well, going back on stage for the first time in 25, 30 years. That was how surprised um, were you with the reaction that you got when you went back on stage? I was completely surprised. I mean, the last gigs I did, you know, I mean, you know, there was a confrontation between band and audience. When you're a young band, it's a lot of like, <laughs> but um, going on to an audience that actually knew all the words and 
liked you and they weren't throwing things at you or um you know they were uh, it was incredible a great band as well because you know technically everything's so much better now um so i went on and i was completely shocked it was a big moment in my life and my kids were there like that was nice and and but the big thing steve and you'll know this because you've met everyone right in um I haven't seen these people for 30 years. No one. I haven't seen any band for 30 years. And there was a lineup with 12 bands, all ages. You know, the ABCs, Evans, you know, Evans, Nick Kershaw. I toured with Nick. You know, I mean, all people I'd known, you know, reasonably well. Some I'd known very well, Tony Hadley, whatever. And it was like yesterday. Oh, hi, Neff. Yeah, I was like, well, hang on. Aren't you going to ask me where I've been for 30 years? Uh, you know, it was, there was, it was, um, it was like, it was like, the, it was like, I mean, it was like yesterday. Yeah, there's a loyalty, isn't there? And there's, yeah. I mean, I'm finding that with the interviews that I do, yeah. that yeah. because there's a commonality that we've all experienced yeah. something yeah. of the same in yeah. people of that era, and particularly yeah. for you as musicians who have been out there and been successful, you've had yeah. very similar experiences along the way. None of yeah. them have stayed right up the top. They've all had a terrible time at some stage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you, they, like they, they know. Yeah, and they know what it's like to be at the top, and they know what it's like when it's taken away, yeah. and and that and I think that's the beauty of it. That was lovely. It gives that, you more humanity to understand that. That was lovely, and that didn't exist forty years ago. Let me tell you, there was none of that backstage at Wembley with Queen on stage. Like you know, we were all competing, um, but there's no competing now. That's a very good point. There was no competing. Everyone was like, "Hi, how are you doing? All right, blah blah blah." blah. You know, I mean, it was nice. Um, it's a very, very nice feeling to be around a comradeship. You know, we've all been through the same war together, uh, and uh, like old soldiers. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was great. It was very lovely, actually. And the people who run these, um, the Let's Rock, uh, I mean, they're the biggest festivals in the UK. I mean, the retro ticket is bigger than anything now because people in their forties and fifties plus can can afford to go. I mean, and. Um, it was just great. I mean, really nice, you know. No one pissed backstage, that's for a start. Uh, <laughs> none of that, you know. Come on, you're all backstage taking tons of coke and going oh, yeah, I, getting I mean, shitless, aren't you? <laughs> you no, know, everyone's looking around, everyone's like, you know, no, there's none of that happening. It's, excuse me, where's my, you know, uh, do, do I still need a hairbrush? You know, that's, that was a good thing. Um, no, it was um, very civilised indeed, and all family, and, um, and I loved that, you know. Because, you know, we have lived through it. And any young band that thinks they've seen it all, yeah, right. You know, you try living in the 70s and 80s. And you want to see what it's like? Um, so um, it was... I just want to ask you finally, because that going on stage and having that um, experience again and then seeing that the audience know all your songs and sing along and they're with you still, which is you yeah. know, a really fantastic moment. Has it inspired you to write new songs and to actually think about, let's let's take this to another level? What, what will you do now? Well, all my interviews when I was doing the, um, the, the festivals was, no, no, don't be ridiculous, I'm not doing that, you know. I'm, and then I was rummaging through moving and we were rummaging through boxes and I realised I did demo an entire album um, in the mid 90s early you know to do another album so i have got some great and i listened to songs i thought well, you know because i was a songwriter you know and the songs sounded i mean now if i wrote a song it'd be rubbish but these songs i wrote 15 20 years ago and um yeah i have an album and it's fantastic but i ain't doing it 
Well, unless someone comes along and says, listen, I'm not going to go through what I went through in the past. If someone comes along and says, hey, I really want to work with you, we'll do a couple of songs, um, you know, and um, I would like to do that one day, but I'm not sweating just to prove a point, you know. You know. But I'd like to do lots of love. My advice is don't be proud. Just just do it because, you know... If someone turns up, if someone turns up and says, I'll do it, I'll pay for it and whatever, and uh, yeah, then I would do it. But, you know, I'm not going to go out like I did in the old days and go, come on, you can work with me. I know I can get people to work with me, but I don't want to, you know, we'll see what happens. I want to do live, more live, uh, before everyone my, my age keels over, you know. We're the next, you know, while the Stones and all that lot are still going strong, um, there's hope. <laughs> That is such a brilliant note to end on. Neville, that's, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. And um, so nice. I'm really pleased that you're doing so well and, well and have such great stories to tell. And you're a little bit like me. You think back at the past, you talk about it, and then suddenly you think, oh, God, that happened. And then yeah. comes a new story. So thanks yeah. again. Good luck with the future. And really, your contribution has been immense in that era. And it was a pleasure for me to go back and to listen to the music again and just sort of take me back to a, to another era and, and that was fantastic in itself. Thank you so, so thank much. You. And that's it for this interview with Neville or Baluie Sum. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do and I'll see you next time. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. 